0: This is Creative Mornings, a new podcast showcasing the global creative community. This episode is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp helps businesses grow. If you're just getting started or you're already building a growing business, MailChimp makes it easy to connect with your customers and sell more stuff. It's totally free to get started, no expiring trial, and no credit card required. For more sophisticated marketers, pro features like multivariate testing offer the same power you'd expect in an enterprise marketing platform in an intuitive, easy-to-use interface. Learn more at mailchimp.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Creative Mornings podcast. This is Matt, and today we're going to hear from Aisha Fukushima, a public speaker, educator, singer, and rap activist, which is her term for a rap activist. In November of 2015, She spoke at Creative Mornings in Oakland, California as part of a series on work. But before we get into Aisha's talk, I caught up with the Seattle, Washington native while she was in Copenhagen, Denmark, as she was preparing an album release party slash art installation around her latest project, The Cypher. And one little detail you'll need is that we taped this phone call back in March where here in the United States, we had a little thing called Daylight Saving. Hello. Hello.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: (laughs) I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for working out the time zones.
0: (laughs) It's actually funny you should say that because I just tried calling you about an hour ago, and when I got no answer, I realized that what is usually a six-hour time difference is now five because we just turned our clocks ahead in the United States. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a dope. It's okay. Anyway, um, so can you give our listeners a quick little background?
1: Yes, I am a singer, a speaker, as well as a raptivist or a rap activist, and I founded a global hip hop project called Raptivism, as in rap activism. And really, it, it came out of some experiences I had, seeing that music, for example, could be a venue for communities to come together, for people to feel more free to be themselves, um, for For folks to imagine and to dream what a more just world looks like so that they can help create it. You know, I've lived and traveled to over 12 countries and four continents doing raptivism from Senegal to South Africa to Belarus and Kazakhstan, you name it. And in each place, no matter where I go, no matter where I land, I can find a home in hip hop.
0: And the hip hop that you dedicate yourself to is not necessarily the hip hop that is defined by popular music, right? Yeah.
1: Within hip hop, oftentimes it gets boiled down to those four Bs of booty, bling, bullets, and maybe bourbon, right? Uh And hip hop, really, it's so much more than that. There's Not only is it a global culture, as we just talked about, but it's rooted in a history and a tradition of activism, of resistance, of Uh, entrepreneurship and of people building and creating uh, new systems for a system that might be broken or doesn't work for them or even works against them.
0: So in 2015, you gave this talk in Oakland, California. How does Creative Mornings fit into the picture?
1: You know, there's a woman who helps out with Creative Mornings, Oakland. Her name is Emma. And she suggested that we get in touch. And I know she had reached out like months, months before just saying, hey, you should know about this. I was invited to come give a speech about love work (laughs) or they said to talk about work. And I said, "Okay, well, I want to talk about the work that we love to do. So we're going to give a speech about love work. (laughs) and I you know it was such a cool experience I I was really surprised to see so many people show up no matter how early it was (laughs) and they're ready and awake and with great coffee yeah it was really cool
0: before we get into it there's one more thing I'd like to share from my chat with Aisha that just happened to come up casually in conversation and I felt it was too poignant to edit out so I'll just use it here as a lead-in to her lecture
1: we're amidst a very challenging political time where there's a lot of hateful discourse and things going on. And this is a moment where we really need to have love. And it's it's truly work that we have to recenter and, and put into perspective what it means to live in a compassionate world and how it creates the world that we want, hopefully, our next generations to live in. And that will allow us to put life before the kinds of hatred that oftentimes push against the force of life that might cause death or injury or, you know, harm. Love work is crucial for these times. As an activist and as a leader, I would say that that's, that's something that we really have to hone in on. <laughs> and I think the talk speaks to that.
0: We'll have more of this conversation towards the end of the podcast. But now here's Aisha Fukushima from November 2015 at Creative Mornings Oakland on Love Work.
1: Oh, Bonjour. Salam alaikum. Shalom. How y'all feeling? Good. That's what I like to hear. So I want to start off today talking about love work, what my friend Gabriel Teodros calls love work, right? Oftentimes when we think about the word work, we think about all these things that we're obligated to do. Sometimes that's that stuff that is soul-sucking for us. Sometimes this idea of work is attached to this feeling of suffering, that it has to be something terrible in order to count, right? But I want to talk today about love work as the most ideal work, that work that yes, it can be hard, but it also feeds our soul, right? It's something that fuels us and energizes us every single day, every single morning, even with the challenges that come with that. To me, love work is composed of two two main things, or rather than being composed, it's at the nexus of two main things. One, happiness. Happiness, what makes you happy, profoundly happy? Makes me think of that Billie Holiday. um. Money, you got lots of friends hanging round your door. But when the spending comes to end, they don't hang round no more. Rich relations give crust of bread and such. You can help yourself, but don't take too much. Mama may have And Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got its own, that's got its own, right? What is that thing that makes you profoundly happy? Thank you. Beyond those material things, right? Those can also be important. Just take a moment to think about it. And purpose what's that sense of purpose, that thing that fuels you, that thing that you're passionate about, that stirs within you. Whenever you get close to it, you know that there's something within you that really needs to jump out and get even closer, right? I think for me, love work is those two things, and it really is at that nexus, at that intersection. And discovering my happiness and how it was tied to music wasn't always apparent to me. Uh, Learning my passion for music in many ways actually was a coincidence, I would say. It happened around a time uh, in elementary school where my mom, she was working as a single mom, and it was a pretty difficult time in the sense that she was working multiple jobs, uh, trying to help us get by while my parents were also getting separated at that time, right? And I just remember these really long days where she was working sometimes up to 15 hours a day and couldn't pick me up from school. And this led to her deciding that she was gonna sign me up for after-school musicals, unbeknownst to me, right? (laughs) So the next thing I know, I show up, I'm in a classroom after school with a bunch of other kids and a teacher on a piano. I'm like, what am I doing here? (laughs) All right, looking around. And then he starts playing these songs. Now, keep in mind, I did grow up around music, the music industry. My parents were booking agents when they were still together. And so I was exposed to all this Funkadelic and, um, you know, James Brown, all these incredible people they were booking. But at the same time, neither of them were musical whatsoever. (laughs) whatsoever right and I also I never really was in a position to imagine myself creating or being on the end right if anything I saw the more behind the scenes so anyways I'm in this classroom and all of us are standing there the teacher on the piano starts playing through all these different tunes and then he slowly but surely after we all sing along goes one by one around the room asking us to sing a line from this song and we all know this feeling right they get closer and closer to you you're doing this like warm-up icebreaker it's supposed to make you all more comfortable and everyone's like what am i gonna say ah! <laughs> so i had that feeling where he gets closer and closer and i'm like oh <laughs> i've never used my voice for anything besides talking for more or less right i was six or seven around that time and he finally comes to me and then he plays this line and says, okay, can you sing this line? And when I opened my mouth, it was incredible. It's like something melted away. First of all, I noticed this warmth that kind of bubbled up through my being. All of a sudden, I was so present in the now that I didn't have to worry about all those anxieties that I was holding on to. It was in it was, that way a sense of happiness, that I could let go of the suffering that I was choosing to have, that anxiety, right? It allowed me to be in the now. The second thing I noticed, I looked around the room and I saw a magnetism, that people were alive in their eyes. There was a calm and a pause where people just stood there staring. And all of a sudden, I felt more connected, that there was some some kind of gravity to the music that allowed us to feel more interconnected. Even though that already existed, it amplified that. Does that make sense? So for me, that happiness, that grain started to sprout with music. And in some ways it was by coincidence. In some ways it was by me pushing myself also to be allowed to be pushed outside of my comfort zones to discover something new. That it wasn't necessarily even apparent to me for even for some of, those who, of us who struggle with figuring out what makes us truly happy in life. When it came to my sense of purpose, I think that this became more and more apparent uh, to me in high school, that I was really passionate about social justice, really passionate about social change and activism. And this was a time where my mom, she was determined that I got one of the best educations possible, if possible, regardless of our circumstance. And she ended up sending me to a very incredible privileged school, which was mainly white upper middle class school in the city just outside of Seattle called Bellevue. And it was an incredible experience. It taught me to c- think critically and there were so many great teachers and still there were so many moments where there were these blind spots and people not being able to really connect and talk about race, talk about gender, talk about sexuality, talk about religion, so on and so forth. There were a lot of points of tension, not only in my school, but in my whole community. I can't count how many times I would get up and go to school. My mom and I were one of the only black families within our uh, unit and people had would puncture our tires and put holes in it so I couldn't go to school, right? Um, well, not specifically so I couldn't go to school, but it would inhibit me from going to school. So I started to bike, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make it there anyways. <laughs> I'm going to rush, get creative in the face of some of those challenges. So, In my community and in particular in my school community, I knew there were a lot of compassionate people but there was something that was not connecting. There were a lot of issues that were rising. I remember the one day out of the school year where we're learning about indigenous history in the United States, one boy jumps out of his desk and starts doing a rain dance in the middle of the classroom and the teacher didn't say anything, right? And he just he did it to make fun. Everyone was laughing, think it was funny. There was this stereotype. And there was this culture of cool around it, even though I don't think people necessarily had that intention of being mean. It was just this ignorance that they didn't have a chance to dialogue about Um, or maybe their families were uncomfortable having that dialogue about or so on and so forth. Um, and, And so I saw an opportunity there. It's like, how do we have these conversations? I couldn't I couldn't sit still. I think the high school thing and that peer pressure would have been to like, okay, just be quiet. Ha, 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 that's so funny, right? Let that pass by. But there was something within me that resonated and said, Uh Uh-uh, we got to say something. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care if people would argue, oh, well, that's not directly related to you or don't worry about that's not your issue or you're too sensitive, whatever, so on and so forth. You don't know what you're talking about. But there was something in within me that wouldn't allow me to be complacent, to be apathetic in the face of some of those issues that arose. And of course, to pursue it with compassion and with love, but to not allow it to just pass by, right? And hearing that voice, feeling that Intuition for me was tracing that sense of purpose, right? That sense of, oh, there's something, that's part of my being, right? That's something that makes me feel tied to maybe why I'm here on this tiny little planet in this universe among many universes. So I had to listen to that, that voice, that element. Often when I had those conversations, it would turn into vitriolic debate if I would speak up and speak out. Uh, And then I started to write poetry. I started to write poetry even before that, but I started to write poetry and read aloud in front of the class about some of my experiences, about what I was observing in the school environment. And all of a sudden, a lot of the students and even the teachers started to open up and say, oh, can we talk about that? Or what did you mean? Or wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that you felt that way, right? And we could have a conversation that was catalyzed through the arts, which leads me to raptivism. I think one of the most recent iterations of my love work, this connection between what makes me truly and profoundly happy, as well as that sense of purpose, is raptivism, rap-activism. Seeing and knowing that my love of the culture and the arts can also be a catalyst for social change. As Jeff Chang says, social and political change is often, a, or the culture is often a dress rehearsal for social and political change. Right. And for me, why hip hop? Um, I like the way the narcissist, uh, the rapper MC puts it. Hip hop stands for highly intellectual people hovering over politics. The hyphen is the bridge that we walk across. Right. So for me, it was this culture, this ability to really connect and think critically about the world around us and not necessarily telling people what to think, but encouraging us to question, to probe deeper, to reimagine the status quo for the world that we want to live in. What does that look like? Not just what do we stand against, but what do we stand for? And how do we express that through the arts? How do we start to manifest that through culture, through the stories that we tell? So raptivism was born from this, this connection, this love work, so to speak. And It's incredible to think how many different journeys Raptivism has taken me on from uh, the other year I was in Belarus performing as one of the first hip hop artists ever in the Belarus Philharmonic or doing uh, TED Talks in Costa Rica or being in Oprah Magazine, woo woo, yeah. (laughs) Um, And and it's spanned across over 12 countries and four continents right? since it started. And the things that's kind of bananas about that is that it just started as an idea. I had no plane tickets. I had no fun. Nothing. I was just like, I love the arts. I love social justice. I don't know if part of this tie to boundaries and borders is also because I grew up between Seattle, uh, Washington, and Yokohama, Japan, or being multiracial African American and Japanese, among many other things, but knowing that the constructedness of borders and boundaries and identities also can be fluid and that there's so much strength in our solidarity, in us being able to work together. But... There was something within me that said, yes, this is a worthy cause. This is something that's important to invest in. This is a vision that I have. I'm a fan of having a mission statement, even as an individual. Oftentimes we have companies that we work for or organizations that we've started or businesses, and that might have a mission statement and a vision. But I think even as an individual, we too can have those mission statements, right? Allows a focus for our love work, so to speak. And just like that, I also invest in my professional development, right? That enrichment, as well as the output. I take retreats, i.e. going outside of my comfort zone and traveling, even in my own city, doing something new so that I can reflect and enrich the work that I'm doing, right? And make connections that maybe I couldn't necessarily predict, right? So I think that idea, that it started off as simply one concept, one vision and has been able to galvanize, and even when I reach out to hip-hop activists, it doesn't matter whether it's in Kazakhstan or Senegal or South Africa, wherever I've been, if I tell that story, then it's somehow a connector that people say, ah, I'm energized by that story, and yes, I want to participate, I want to be part of that, right? I think that's an incredible gift. It's important in this journey also for me to define my own success. That's one thing I've realized, especially when we're talking about work. this reminds me actually of my first job. So I remember I was turning 16. I was excited. I was applying for all these different jobs everywhere from Red Robin to McDonald's, so on and so forth. You name it, right? And I couldn't get a single call back for an interview. I was feeling really bummed out. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've applied for everything. <laughs> you know, I can't count how many applications, right?" And around that time, thank goodness for my mother. She—it was my birthday and. She took me in the car. She said, okay, come on, baby, let's go. Like, where are we going? She's like, don't worry about it. You'll see when we get there. And we go up to this huge skyscraper in downtown Seattle. And she has me start filling out forms, different forms. And next thing I know, I've registered for my own business at 16. That was my first job, right? And she said, now you have to imagine what is it that you want to do? And literally I had to manifest and create that opportunity. I said, you know what? I like it when people use their imagination, I like seeing people play and share space and have a collective reason to play. So, I want to start a co- toy company. And I found high tech toys because I love technology, right? And I picked each one, and I eventually had enough opportunity to hire even my cousins. My mom said, You got to earn your college books. I did that, <laughs> right? And it was incredible. Thousands of dollars started to roll in each day to the point where they asked me to open a storefront, right? As a 16-year-old, and I had to decide to go to college instead and not stay in Seattle for that particular thing. But that also started as an idea and shaping an opportunity and seeing an opportunity even outside of all the no's, right? Or the boxes that people wanted to fit me in and say, oh, that's not for you, When it comes to raptivism, there are also tons of challenges that I faced along the way, everything from, I remember the first time I got interested in doing human rights work globally, and I applied for a fellowship to ask, hey, I would love to learn more. The interviewer asked me, well, why would you ever be interested in global issues? Why don't you just focus on domestic issues, your issues? issues for you, right? And this questioning of my ideas, of my aspirations, of that vision, but part of that resiliency, I think it just kept adding and watering that flower to grow, you know? That rose out of the concrete, so to speak. So transforming that energy. Um, today, today my love work, um, I think really shifts to a question and uh, an idea of liberation. What does liberation look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? I'm thinking of Nina Simone, you know. I wish I knew how, how, how it feels to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could share all the love in my heart. Say it loud. Say it clear for the whole wide world to hear. Right? That freedom. How does it feel? Nina said to live without fear. Imagine one day to live without fear. But I really wanna challenge us today to even think about that. If we have change agents in the room, even within our own individual lives, what does that change look like that you want to manifest? And sometimes it can be scary too. I don't know, oh, maybe it'll change. That's okay too, we are dynamic beings. (laughs) Our vision plans can change. But it starts with one step, right, in that vision plan. That said, I wanna conclude on this note about being able to build collectively. In hip-hop, we call this the cypher. It's a space where we give and exchange energy, and to me, that's a metaphor for our interconnectivity, how much we truly need each other, right? Y'all feel me on that? Solidarity is essential. Yes, these ideas, I can have one idea as an individual, but when I join that together with other folks, we can build something massive and incredible, or if it's not huge, something very dynamic. And it enriches the work that we do. It's not necessarily about being in this one siphon of this is my stuff, right? And that's something that I think I've learned and I've been able to uh, give testimony to through some of the global hip hop work that I do that it has to be collaborative, it has to be open, it has to be dynamic and based on dialogue and exchange of ideas. So that said, you don't think I'm just going to talk about the cipher, right? And just be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's the idea, cool. No, y'all are going to (laughs) participate. So I want you to just take a moment. Think about what does your love work look like? What does your love work look like? Ooh, 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 the way we rock every day, we dust, stones ooh, dust, stones to 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 dust, and I love the way we rock Everyday we making it On and off the clock And I love the way we rock Everyday we making it On and off the clock The clock On and off the clock to clock. Clock, clock. Clock, clock On and off the clock The clock On and off the clock The clock The clock See so y'all still have your words? Okay, come on up Visual. Communicate. war Communicate. Cross-cultural creative expression. Communicate.
0: Cross-cultural creative expression. Communicate. Cross-cultural creative expression. Communicate. Cross cultural creative expression. Communicate.
1: I love it. Y'all awake now? Communicate. Cross cultural creative expression. And sometimes we feel like slaves Working so hard and we don't get paid Like we're supposed to People say I owe you But they ain't so loyal Can't you tell I'm a queen I'm so royally pissed when you just this I throw a hissy fit How are you feeling this? Cause I'm killing this Resurrected, so you know who you're dealing with We be the people and we speak Resilient hate hey, Punching another day Wake up now cause it's time to celebrate We be the people through the track elevated Don't know who we be cause you're often underrated If you got excuses please just save it! If you cross got gang, please go know that I played it! it. Making the music, till so society can face it! I spit for freedom, so you can spread. taste it! I and I love the way we rock, every day we making it, on and off the clock! And I love the way we rock, every day we making it, on and off the clock, the clock! And I love the way we rock, every day we making it, on and off the clock. the clock! And I love the way we rock, every day we making it on and off the clock, the clock! On and, the clock, the clock. Code, curl, curl. On and off the clock, the clock. On and off the clock. The clock. On and off the clock. The clock. The crow, The clock. The crow, The crow, The crow, The do do clock. The clock. Do 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 Thank you so much. Cross cultural creative expression. Communicate. Thank you. Cross cultural creative.
0: For more on this theme and to browse the complete archives, you can go to creativemornings.com. I had a little more time to chat with Aisha on the phone, and we'll get to that in a second, but first, we've got to take care of some business. And this episode is also made possible by Hover, domains made simple. I'm currently on the phone with Aaron Awad, owner and sole proprietor of Blind Pig Design. I do user experience design, I design websites, apps, logo design, illustration, and printmaking. Aaron has recently joined the many converted Hover users. I've used a lot of the uh, different domain name registration sites in the past, and the Hover interface is just kind of the cleanest and easiest to use. Being online all day long, I'm always looking for ways to simplify the tools that I use. And now that Hover is offering .design domains, things just got even more simple. Blindpigdesign.com, it's always kind of a mouthful to say. So when I heard that Hover had the .design domain extension, I was eager to start using that for my website. .designs are on sale for the month of May, and listeners of this podcast can save an additional 10% off their first .design or any other domain by using promo code creative at checkout thanks aaron Uh, that's it that's it it was painless hover domains made simple now as promised i still have aisha fukushima on the phone can you tell me if this is how you often end your public speaking engagements with this level of uh crowd participation
1: oh yeah hip-hop is participatory you (laughs) know um and so yeah for sure for sure i mean Everyone is invited to participate in some fashion or form, and I never know what's going to happen, so it keeps it exciting (laughs) on so many levels.
0: Yeah, that's kind of my personal nightmare. (laughs) So I was impressed in hearing you tell your story because it's not often that people recognize their path as far back as high school. And it seems to me like back then you were grooming yourself for this future.
1: I don't think I ever anticipated that social justice would be such a big part of my life. (laughs) I just kept following the thread. (laughs) And I just kept thinking, I can't be, I can't be apathetic to this. And to me, activism, I guess I think of it a little bit more as a norm. It's not like, oh, I have a choice of whether I care or not. It just, it's hard for me to see a harm going on where if I or we or a group of people have some sort of power to help make someone else's existence a little bit easier (laughs) or a little bit more happy, than it's, of course, it's part of our collective responsibility to do something.
0: I found a little parallel to one of the episodes of this podcast uh, from last season with Ben Chestnut, the founder of MailChimp. Great. And he spoke on the theme of work as well. And he said, you always hear people say, do what you love, but that can also potentially kill your passion and that he's always preferred the saying, love what you do instead You embrace Hmm. what it is you do and success will find you. Yeah.
1: Well, I would agree. I mean, I agree with that advice in that, you know, sometimes what we love to do doesn't have to be our work, as in like our bread and butter kind of work or what have you. I don't necessarily think there's like a one size fits all. Right. Um, And that said, I think that the concept of love work still resonates in that on the road, I've met so many people who come up to me and said, I appreciate what you said, and I realize that what I'm doing in life right now, I'm not really allowing myself to do anything that I really like, (laughs) and I have the time to do it, or I might, you know, I'm thinking of a poet in particular who, you know, really wanted to write, and they have long bus rides every morning, and just not even allowing themselves to pick up the pen, and what is that moment where we give ourselves permission also to fulfill that sense of passion or purpose or whatever's calling us, to dare to do something. Um, And I think in some ways that's a form of social justice work in that when people are happy, when they feel like they're able to fulfill some sort of life purpose, whether that's their bread and butter or not, then we, we start to live in a world that's a little bit more free. As I would put it, the, like the break beats, right of of our of our of the dance floor of our life, like that's this part where everyone starts to get down and they do, you know, what what makes them the most happy.
0: Well, so I guess what I'm curious about is, since you've been so close to this passionate work for so long, have you ever found yourself waning, or have you ever found the passion disappearing?
1: I've definitely had uh, moments where it's oh, it's not easy. It's really hard makes you doubt and ask questions. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. And that's part of what makes it even stronger. You know, I think Rumi said that um, wounds are where the light enters us. Sometimes that challenge, I think, can also feed the fire, depending on how, how you use that energy. You know, if you allow those little voices that are constantly saying, ah, this is horrible, or, you know, all those challenges to take over, then, It's easy to stop creating. And part of the process is like when it gets hard, you have to just learn mechanisms to like let go of the fear, let go of that that self editing process that's going to constantly shut things down or that perfectionist element and let yourself create. And that's a life skill um, that I think goes into the activism work, goes into the education work that I do. Um, goes into the speaking that I do and so on and so forth.
0: Aisha, I love it. I love how positive that is. That's such a great way to look at the demons that prevent us from moving forward. I want to talk about music real quick because you are a musician and so much of what you do revolves around music. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the current state of popular music.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think that oftentimes when we talk about pop music in the States, it gets boiled down to a top 40 list of course, they want people to hear about bling and booty and stuff, because not only because sex sells or that glamorous way of life appeals to people, but I think it also incur- encourages people to just want to keep buying and to be unhappy with their lives, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And as a business person who wants to make money off of people, that's that's really enticing. The more unhappy people are, oh, my teeth aren't white enough, oh, my hair isn't na-na-na, whatever it is not no, no, whatever its you know, my car isn't cool enough. The more they can play on your insecurities, the easier it is to make a profit.
0: And there's just so much other music out there.
1: There's so much music all around the world that's not necessarily coming through my particular radio waves or not necessarily blasting through my my television. And there's a wealth, there's an incredible wealth out there. So to know that I'm not saying listen to this or don't listen to that, um, but Just to be aware with a lens so when we're listening to that, we know that there's so much more (laughs) right? and that that we might be getting messages that are very, um, very programmed in more ways than one. It's time for us also as consumers to keep demanding that music that feeds our soul. And to keep supporting that music, whether that's through a Facebook post or that's through jamming it out at your next party or what have you, that we also have a responsibility as consumers to keep amplifying that message. That said, there's still some bangers out there.
0: But. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. So the last thing we have for you is a question that we end every episode with. And the question is, how do you challenge yourself creatively?
1: Huh. How do I challenge myself creatively? I think... I challenge myself by clearing my mind and I try to make sure that there's space to just be and to be present in the very moment that we're living in now. (laughs) And in some ways that allows me to create connections and to see uh, a lot of creative opportunities that I might not have otherwise seen if I was trying to think five steps or 10 steps ahead or only focusing on the past. I listen to my intuition. That's always an incredible guide. Everything around me can be a source of inspiration. And I like to be a profound listener, not only with my ears, but with my eyes and with my heart, um, with my spirit. And in my, many ways that continues to fuel the vision plans that are coming together and, and that manifest. Because it, I think our music is so much, so so very influenced by the world around us. And it's important to listen up in order to create art that's resonant with people. I think those are a few tips. That and oh, letting go of that, that self-editing. <laughs> Allowing, giving myself permission to be free.
0: <laughs> so perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Aisha. This has been such a pleasure.
1: Oh, no, of course. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it.
0: Likewise. Have a good one. Hi, Bye-bye.
1: Hi. Bye. <laughs>
0: Remember, we still want your answers to that question. How do you challenge yourself creatively? You can send us your voice memos to podcast at creativemornings.com. Next week, we'll hear from co-founder of Mule Design, Mike Montero. It's a must listen for anyone, not just designers, anyone who gets paid for their work.
1: If you are trying to convince somebody to give you their money and that you're the right person to give it to, and they're asking you how much something costs, and the first thing out of your mouth is, um, you just lost 10 grand.
0: Our thanks to Aisha Fukushima and everyone at Creative Mornings. This episode was produced and edited by S. with sound engineering, mixing, and original score by Devin C. Johnson at Little Library Studios in collaboration with Esmateo Music. This week's rooster comes courtesy of Lola in Bogota. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Morning. Remember, it's singular. And use hashtag podcastcm when you tweet at us. For a complete archive of talks or just to get involved, go to creativemornings.com.